Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the I Love Gold podcast. I am Tyler Brook, uh, your host, joined by my co-host, Chris Burke. Chris, uh, I am sunburnt. I am tired. I know you just had a long day today, uh, but we got a lot to cover. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a, <laughs> that took a lot out of me yesterday. And, you know, I'll have to go back to work today. It's like I worked a full shift yesterday sitting on my couch with that experience. <laughs> so, um <laughs> that uh wow but yeah we got a lot to cover um for sure yeah i uh i had told if you were listening to the feed uh on friday evening uh, i was telling everyone i was going to the game took my brother um our seats there were canopies in a lot of areas our seats were directly in the sun on an 85 degree day Uh, i was very smart i did not bring sunglasses or a hat so i am regretting that a little bit today by the second half i was using my the jersey just to like shield off the sun. So, you know, up and down, back and forth. I have just spent all the day today exhausted, you know, two hour drive there and back, you know, in between uh, one of the craziest games of any sport I think I've ever attended. So why don't we just go ahead and jump right into it? You know, unlike last week, this was not a stress-free win. Uh, no, that was not. That was uh you know, I've, I've never gone back and forth so much at, at one time. I mean, I watching it on TV was a folly. I can't imagine what that was like in person. The, the vibes as justice would put them were at like a, a negative seven. We'll say the, it seemed like every single field goal, regardless of if the Bengals or Packers were kicking it, everyone still assumed, even as the misses were coming, that they were going to make it. So just miss after miss the look of shock on everyone's face, Bengals fan or Packers fan was honestly kind of priceless. You know, I think after the last missed one, when uh, McPherson thought he made it, uh, everyone was like, I think we just need to call this a tie. I think we just need to end it. Go on from there. I am still trying to look. Uh, I don't know if you found anything, Chris, but I don't know if there have ever been that many misses in the fourth quarter and overtime of any game ever. You know, there you'd think there'd be a statistic like that out there somewhere that you'd be able to find. But I mean, I've watched a lot of football in my life and I've never seen anything remotely like that. Um, and since you were at the game, you didn't see it. But after every miss, they would pan to either a Packer fan or a Bengal fan. And the amount of disbelief was going <laughs> higher and higher after each after each miss. Um, but after he started celebrating after that, that near miss, I'm kind of, you know, if the Packers get another shot at this, I said, I bet you. I bet you Mason makes it, and I'm glad I was proven correct because premature celebration never ends well um, with the football gods. Yeah, the football gods are always angered by that. I will say the one that hurt the most to me was uh, right before the end of the fourth quarter when the you know Rodgers and Devontae did the same thing they did against the 49ers. You know, get a play, chunk play, spike it to set up Crosby. You know, then and there I was like, that's just another perfect way to send it off. 
I could already see the narratives being formed of just, you know, again, you left Rogers with too much time on the clock. So I think that one stung more than anything. Um, you know, I had it on the notes to talk about special teams, but that's really all you can talk about to start this episode this week. Um, just, I will say this, I have all the respect in the world for the coaching staff giving Crosby another chance. Cause you know, this isn't the first time we've seen Crosby, you know, just get the yips out of nowhere. So to have the faith in him to still kick that game winning field goal, that felt pretty good. Yeah. You know, he, Crosby, you know, since he had that bad game in Detroit a couple of years ago, he has been very reliable. Um, so, you know, the, I, you, again, you didn't see the broadcast, but for the first, you know, a couple of kicks that he made, they kept bringing up the field goal streak and the field goal streak. They're like, oh, you're going to jinx him. You're going to jinx him. The one time they're like, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to say anything. He missed it. <laughs> but um, I mean, I mean, but clearly there is something going on with that operation. Aaron Rodgers pointed out that he thinks there's something going on there. They're going to look at the tape. Um, but something, something with the field goal units, the field goal units been off. I mean, you've had a couple, you've had a, you know, you had that block kick. They got called back against Pittsburgh. They had that, very close shave against San Francisco um, trying to figure out, you know, just they've been playing with fire for a while and I didn't think it was going to end up nearly like this, but you know, they, they definitely have something to clean up. The, the thing that worries me is that they claimed that it was fixed this previous week. They're like, Oh, we figured out the problem and we fixed it. And I believe from where I was standing or sitting, well, I guess mostly standing, we'll say standing. Uh, it looks like they switched out. I think I saw Lancaster. Uh, blocking on the edge of the uh, field goal unit. So maybe that was their fix and it just clearly didn't work. But, you know, I really don't know. The other thing I was struggling with is from where we were sitting uh, on the closer end zone, I had no idea what field goals were going in and out, except the one that doinked. So being able to sitting there and just trying to stare at the referees is so much worse when you see it. You're just like, I have no idea if that went in. But I will say this. The other thing I noticed just looking at the box score Four of seven on field goal attempts feels like I'm watching like an NBA player try and shoot three pointers. That's way too many attempted field goals. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you've got to punch, you know, you got to score into the end zone at some point you've got to, you got to cash in when you get down there. But uh, it's, (laughs) that was just, I mean, that that was like a shootout on penalty kicks, you know, and, and, or not penalty in soccer or, you know, a shootout in hockey, you know, it's just like, Oh man. You know, I'm glad they. I'm glad they still have the overtime rules and that they haven't gone to field goals as a tiebreaker because, uh, whew, that uh, that was a, that was a comedy. Oh no, I disagree. Give me a second overtime with kickoffs. Uh, we were talking. Me and my brother were talking about that as we were leaving the game. Like, how wild would that be? You know, double overtime is just the kickers taking chances just from farther and farther away. I I would personally enjoy that. Uh, I had one other side note. You know feels weird talking this long about special teams but you know as Packers fans all know that always seems to be an issue I am so disappointed I one of the things I was really excited to see in person was uh Boriquez because uh he's been an absolute weapon so I feel like I'm the bad luck charm because I show up and he just brutally shanked one of his two punts so I was actually pretty bummed about that I was really looking forward to seeing him Hopefully that doesn't happen again. I still have, uh, you know, I still have quite a bit of faith in the new guy. Yeah. I mean, the, the numbers are obviously in his favor right now. I mean, that, that one punt it was kind of like, what the heck, you know, when I saw that, I thought maybe he, I, cause I, I turned briefly and I thought not maybe it got, you know, somebody got a hand on it or something that it went that way. And I didn't realize upon rewatching the game, 
last night that I'm like, oh, he shanked that bad. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was. I mean, that was that was a horrible kick. But um, I'm not I'm not going to worry about it unless it becomes a major, unless it starts to become a problem down the road. Um, you know, he's got a good track record. I don't think he's going to be. He's not going to be a problem going forward. I think there's enough special teams problems going on that you know just hoping that that's not another one that you have to add on to. But again, I feel like we could talk about the special teams forever. It's just something Packers fans deal with, but let's go ahead and move on to the offense. This was a game to remember a career game for Devonte Adams, someone where the Packers are dealing with all of these injuries, to the offensive line to their number two receiver. Everyone knows where the ball is going. The guy still has 11 receptions over 200 yards and a touchdown. Whatever you could say about Devonte Adams, I still don't think does justice. Uh, you know, he's top two and he's not two. I completely agree there. Uh, we, I was at the game two years ago when they played Philly um, at Lambeau, and I think he went for like almost 180 at that point. And that was unbelievable. And he somehow even topped it today. I mean, you, you just can't stop him. I mean, everybody, I mean, the NFL defensive coordinators, even the quote unquote bad ones, are not stupid. Um, they know the Packers are going to throw the ball to Aaron Rodgers, or they're going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams, excuse me. I mean, oh, I'd love no, to see them throw to Rodgers. That would be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't want to see number 12 on a, on a slant, on an breaking road. I really – Let's see his really release package. See let's, see his, let's see what he's got. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you, you know the ball's going to 17, 80%, 80, 90% of the time, and they can't stop him. I mean, that it's unbelievable. I've never seen – at least in my time in Green Bay, at least since Sterling Sharp, where they and maybe, I mean, even this is even beyond Jordy Nelson, with all due respect to Jordy Nelson. I just haven't seen a receiver like that that has just been unstoppable no matter what they throw at him, um, probably since Sterling Sharp. I always love going to the games because you can see the safeties, you can see the secondary and how routes are developing. I think what I really enjoyed watching this game was just that, you know, Devontae won by both being physically more dominant and, you know, being able to create separation, but also a couple of these plays where he was wide open were just schemed so beautifully. So when you have a good game plan and an elite receiver and a Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, that's the perfect recipe against a, you know, subpar secondary uh, to have an absolutely massive game. And let me tell you, that deep bomb to him uh, was a thing of beauty in the air. I mean, that ball gets up so high, you just have no idea where it's going to land and you can see how well Devontae tracked it. Uh, behind the safeties so uh, that play is going to stick out to me for a while but man just physical freak Um, I am praying that he's a Packer for life Uh, even if that may not look like a you know a realistic opportunity uh, with the contract situation the cap space but you know again one last dance Uh, it's great watching him right now and holy crap is he amazing yeah the, the human cheat code he uh are you, is this the first time you've seen him? In, how many times have you seen Adams play? Oh, great question. This is actually the third time I've seen him in person. Uh, I saw him in Los Angeles uh, right after he came back from, was it a hamstring that year? It was a couple years ago when the Chargers were playing in the soccer stadium, and it was 95% Packers fans. So he was not 100% that game. And then I saw him in Lucas Oil last year against the Colts. Uh, another great game from him, but no, nothing came close to this. It was It was unreal. TV does not do his release justice. It oh, really no. doesn't. I mean, I, the, I mean, you can, if you're in person, I swear you can hear ankles breaking. 
you hear that <laughs> yeah. you hear that you hear that you hear that mad 96 sound effect you know like crunch you know from when somebody gets hurt <laughs> you can hear that sound when he's as soon as he breaks around i mean it's just that you you can't believe what you're seeing in person uh we're very fortunate to have him obviously in green bay but he needs you know he's he needs to be paid and can they do it i you know, i don't want to think about that right now it's october yeah. well you know he was the big bright spot and on the offense uh you know if we're talking medium spot, the, I think, thought the offensive line was okay. Uh, there was definitely a little bit more pressure, but I think that's understandable considering I will say one of the strengths in Cincinnati's entire team watching it was their defensive front. Uh, the one thing that did stand out to me a lot, um, you know, as far as the offensive concern was Josiah DeGuara. Um, I did notice he missed a couple of plays, uh, just didn't seem on the same page. And at one point, on what looked like a bailout on a run play, trying to get a quick pop pass. Uh, DeGuar was just completely lost. And immediately after the play, Rodgers absolutely dug into him. And I'm pretty sure from that moment on, I did not see DeGuar hit the field again. Yeah, was that that was the play where because the TV the TV replay didn't really show it because DeGuar was off the screen. That was the play where Rodgers basically threw him in the dirt, right? Yeah, it looked like he was trying to set up for like a swing pass directly to the yep, slot, yep. which was DeGuara. And he hesitated because DeGuara was trying to go downfield and basically block or run a route. I couldn't really tell. But yeah, he had to throw it into the dirt and just immediately started chewing out DeGuara. And then from there, we had to see the Tyler Davis show. Yeah, you know, and you're seeing somebody that was off the uh, practice squad not too long ago. That's, you know, it, it stinks that you see a top 100 pick go like that, especially after an injury last year. But uh when you're when you enter Rogers doghouse, it's very difficult to pull yourself out of it. Um, MVS, you know, as we all know, probably was in his doghouse a little bit, but you've missed a full year like that as a tight end. And, you know, you're buried on the depth chart. You know, the, the bell is about to toll for you in Green Bay. I mean, I definitely a bubble player to watch in camp next year if he if he makes it through the season this year. You know, yeah, it feels take, but. It feels almost like another Sternberg situation unfolding. And I will say the other point of this too, is that his job's in jeopardy once Daphne's healthy as well, because Daphne, even though he's an undrafted guy is just such an asset. Uh, you know, he does everything DeGuar is supposed to do, but he effectively does it essentially. And you know me, I'm always biased to anyone that's played football in the state of Indiana. So I will always root for Daphne and Tunyon. Um, I didn't have it written down, but we should probably talk about Tunyon as well. Uh, it just really seems like a big regression year for that guy. You know, he's not good. The target, the targeting and the catch ratio, there's catch percentage, you know, was obviously going to come back. He caught literally everything that was thrown in his direction last year. Um, not sure if that's by design because of the offensive line issues. They're keeping him more, you know, they're trying to keep them more in line, you know, to help with a, the with a pass protection. But yeah, that definitely seems to be kind of a regression. I think he only had eight yards yesterday, one catch for eight yards. And I think he was maybe only targeted twice. I don't have the, number up in front of me but uh yeah boy that he's get, he's getting cheaper which you know in hindsight that might be good <laughs> yeah uh, i believe he's had single digit receiving yards in all but one game this season so you know that is unfortunate and I, I i didn't think about that but i think that's a good point about the offensive line it seems like everything will you know resolve itself once myers jenkins and bakhtiari are back and on the bright side you know likely two of those in Jenkins and Myers are going to be back next week. They felt pretty confident. They just needed to set Myers a week. Jenkins was back at practice and, you know, just a late inactive. So, you know, they're getting close. Bakhtiari is eligible to return. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Um, but yeah, there, there is some light at the end of the tunnel as far as the offensive line woes. And it's not really woes. Again, I think considering 
you basically have a preseason group out there. Uh, an absolutely phenomenal job. A-plus job as far as effort goes. Yeah, I mean, you can't you – know, you're missing three of your five starters. I mean, you, you know, you can't – the pressure was there obviously more today but you know, on Sunday, but you can't really – you can't complain. I mean, Rodgers was under dress all day, but we knew that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I thought their defense played well, too. Uh, DJ Reader stood out a few times. Chidobia Awuzie played phenomenally. Outside of that pick, just the way that he broke downhill on a couple of those attempted pop passes to Devontae and Lazard, uh, he just tackled really well. He was a really effective piece for them. Um, one of those guys I watched in college, too, where I was like, that's a pretty darn good player. Glad to see he's still around the league. Um, so, yeah, again, I think I think they had a solid game plan going in, but just, you know, you can't stop Devontae Adams. But let's let's go ahead and move sides to the defensive side of the ball. I am curious, you know, watching it on the broadcast, what everyone's takes were, because, you know, watching it in person, I did think the defense actually played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, I mean, Jamar Chase is, I mean, he's hard, he's hard to stop. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, he's going to be a very, very special player, um, along with Joe Burrow. I mean, the fact that they were college teammates, they've already got that connection. Um, it's just a matter of getting the other pieces around them now. But, I mean, I, it, the defense, you know, what they were up against in Cincinnati, you know, you and I were talking before the show was he's – they very much give off a vibe to me of like a 93, 94 Packers team, you know, where they've been terrible for a long time. You got that new young quarterback and they're slowly starting to build and you can see that something might be coming. I'm kind of getting that vibe between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and really the Bengals in general. Um, glad we get them now and not, you know, a few years down the road and that they're not in our division. Um, yeah, I will so. say I really enjoyed watching them. I thought they were, they were a good football team. They clearly showed up to play. And they have they have some pieces I really like on both sides of the ball. Loved watching Jamar and Burrow in college. So, you know, it's a team that, you know, you don't have to root for them, but you can just be like, you know, if they do well, like, you know, good for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, if there's I want to say that's a small market team. Cincinnati, I know it's not Green Bay, but, you know, it's a smaller market team. They always kind of been forgotten. You know, it's it's I, I'm really happy for them, especially when they've been bad as long as they were. Um, just I'm, I'm glad to see another team come up you know that's kind of going through what the Packers went through back in the early 90s well you know a couple players did stand out to me on the defense uh number one being continues to be Devontae Campbell uh I am convinced that you know getting a guy in May for two million dollars that's just become an absolute leader in the middle of the defense you could make the argument that's one of Gutekunst's best signings if not the best as far as a value standpoint Oh, absolutely. More bang for your buck. I mean, he's everything that I wanted Christian Kirksey to be last year. Yeah. Um, you know, the, an inside linebacker. I mean, it's amazing what that does to your defense, you know, because the Packers have, I'll say it, they neglected the position really, you know, they really haven't taken anybody high outside of AJ Hawk in 2006. Um, and he's, he's everywhere. He's all over the field. He had that great interception um, in overtime that should have won the game. Well, been the key play that won the game, I guess. But uh, I mean, for bang for your buck value, I mean, there's uh, that that signing went under the radar, and <laughs> we're all talking about it now. I I know I always under like I've always understood where people come for come from as far as not valuing the inside linebacker position. But at the same time, I watched Levante David and Devin White in Tampa Bay, and I'm like, okay, that's what you can that's what you can have when you have legitimate linebacker play, and to have a guy that. He does everything well, right? You know, he stacks blockers well. He 
evades blockers well. He tackles well. He can get in coverage. He can blitz. He can do everything and is an asset in all phases of the game. And when you have that in the middle of your defense, we're starting to see it allows you to be more creative. It allows you to generate pressure. It allows you to have more creative coverages. And the defense is benefiting from it. I mean, you know, the sack numbers may not have been great, but it felt like they were getting consistent pressure on Burrow all game. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pressure up front has just been remarkable. Um, Dean Lowry, I mean, Dean, Dean Lowry shows up. Um, yeah. Tipped, tipped pass, he's generating pressure. Kenny Clark, destroyer of worlds. Um, don't need to uh, obviously nothing we haven't seen from him before, but um, Dean, the Dean, Dean Lowry had probably the best game he's had all year. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, just getting, if they, can, if they can continue to develop that interior line, I mean, TJ Slayton, made a great, uh, you know, got in there on a few plays. I mean, if that's the way that line's going to develop, that's only going to help the pass rush, especially if Zadarius Smith isn't going to be back for a long time. Yeah, and I think it's helping, you know, at least in the defensive line and linebacker with Jalen Smith coming into the fold soon, that you are starting to see a little bit of depth at two positions. The Packers have solely lacked depth, sorely lacked depth at, uh, you know, over the years. Uh, It's something to be encouraged about, and, you know, one other thing I wanted to point out is just I talk about him every week at this point, but uh, I'm so impressed with Eric Stokes, you know, in a week where Jair's out, the secondary has a trillion question marks. You're being asked to guard, you know, the up and coming star receiver in the league. Uh, he showed out. He stuck to his man, um, avoided any pass interference penalties. I uh, had a couple nice breakups on the ball. Um you know, he's closing with confidence as far as trying to make tackles. Not always the cleanest tackler, but the effort is there. Um, as far as a first-round pick, I'm extremely excited. It's a position where, you know, it's so hard to develop as a rookie, and usually it takes a year or two. But for him to come out and show up how he has been, especially with that kind of confidence, uh, another, you know, if this continues to be the level of play, that's a home run uh, pick by a against. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, he hasn't, he's not, but he's not a liability as a rookie. Yeah. Not seeing teams target him and pick on him like they are with Kevin King. They've actually been pretty respectful of him, you know, after the last couple of weeks. And uh, he's more than held his own. Um, and once, once he get Jair back, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great tandem. And I mean, if he, it's week five, I mean, he, yeah. if he, he's only going to get better. So, you know, you talk about that year one to year two leap and I know we're only five weeks into the season, but, I, I really like on this one. And man, can Goody find cornerbacks? Because uh, you got in the first round, he got Alexander, and now we got Stokes. I mean, that's that's been a fantastic, fantastic find. How funny is that that Gudikens comes in? His first ever pick is Jair. Am I that correct? That was his first ever draft pick was Jair Alexander, correct? Correct, correct, yeah. correct. So you go from, what is it, almost a decade and a half of drafting guys like Ahmad Carroll and all this stuff and struggling to find you know, top tier cornerbacks. And then all of a sudden, you know, two for two on first round or first round corners. So that's pretty awesome. Um, You know, hopefully that trend continues. Although I will say, even though he was a day three pick, Shamar Jean Charles, John Charles uh, only played one snap on Sunday and uh, he lost his soul on that Joe Mixon touchdown. Uh, you know, that's, I I can't knock him on that. He was, I mean, he's so far down the depth chart at that point. He's, not ready for prime time yet. Obviously, necessity forced him into action, and Joe Mixon is a very good player. Um, it so. was 
it was weird seeing him go out onto the field. I literally watched him and Yadam like talk to each other, yell at the sidelines. Neither one of them knew who was supposed to be out there at the goal line. And then like last second, you know, Shamar runs out there, doesn't even feel like he's set or knows what he's doing. And then just gets his ankles broken. That's a, I think, I don't know if that's his first snap uh, as a rookie on the field. Um, but as far as only snap playing in a game, that's tough. Uh, you know, you gotta shake that one off. That That's what we talk about when we're talking about rookie lumps. Um, uh, what else did you have? Do you have anything else about the game that you, you know, had any big takeaways? Um, only thing really, if we could hop back to the offense for a second, that I really, I think the offense is missing MVS a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they need somebody to stretch the field a little bit. You know, they, they need, they need that deep threat. I mean, Randall Cobb has been phenomenal. Shout out to assistant general manager, Aaron Rodgers on that phenomenal <laughs> job with the recruiting on that one. Um, but I think when you get, because now that you've got that reliable slot receiver there in Cobb, you get MVS on there. I think that's going to open up the playbook a lot more and that might get the rhythm going. I mean, the offense has played well, but they're not, they haven't hit all cylinders yet. And I think that's where, you know, I, I know he's kind of been a villain for Packers fans, but they really need to kind of get MVS. They need to get him back because him and Cobb on the field at the same time, along with Adams. I think that, you know, you could, you could do some fun stuff with that. Cause now Rod Cobb has played well enough. Now your teams are going to have to start paying attention to him. You've got to take MBS's speed into account. And, you know, that might free up. I mean, you think Devontae Adams has been good now. There might even be bigger games coming. I yeah. think he might even go over 200 yards again this year. I mean, you heard it here first. <laughs> I, I always try to take a deep breath when people are wanting to, you know, throw all this hate at MBS because not so long ago, you know, Devontae Adams was in that exact same situation. Packers wanted him cut for Jeff Janis, I recall, or maybe Jared Aberderis, one of the two. So it's a process, you know, people don't develop at the same rate as other players, and that's okay. And from what we've seen in recent work, when MVS is on the field, he is an absolute weapon. Even against Detroit, where he didn't show up on the box score, he was getting open deep. So I agree with you there. The only thing that I'm surprised about is that Lazard hasn't become that deep threat in replacing uh, in replacing MVS in that role. And my only guess is that maybe he's just gotten bigger and more physical trying to focus on his blocking, which might have slowed him down because you don't really see him getting open right now this year. No, you don't. I think, again, that might come down to, you know, Matt LaFleur got creative and so did Adam Stenovich about how to offset the loss of so many key offensive linemen. You know, you've got, you know, Mercedes Lewis, big dog in there. Lazard's a good blocker. You know, you can use them in other ways. They don't have to be lined up, you know, on the line. They don't have to be in line to block. I mean, you've seen Lazard out there has been a phenomenal blocking receiver. Um, I think even MVS mentioned on his Instagram that he thinks Lazard's the best blocking receiver in the league. Um, I, you know, and I think that might be part of why you haven't seen Lazard down the field too much is that they're using their receivers and their tight ends and to create a way to offset some of that offensive line um, problems they've been having as far as injuries. The sign of a good locker room is that no one's complaining about that either. You know, all these guys are being asked to do so much of the dirty work, not getting as many targets. I mean, we've seen the numbers that Devante is just shattering all the target numbers. Uh, and a lot of these guys aren't getting a ton of opportunities, but you're not hearing anyone complain about it. Everyone is, you know, willing to block and make plays for their teammates. So again, from a long-term locker room perspective, if you want a Super Bowl team, that's the kind of plays you're going to need to make. So with that being said, before we get into segments, let's take a quick little break, uh, getting some commercials for you, and we'll be right back. 
All right, Chris, let's get into our usual segments for the I Love Gold. Again, shout out to you as always for the names because I was struggling on the names, but let's go ahead and start with those Gold Zone updates this week. Uh, Another rough one, man. Only two of five on touchdowns in the Red Zone this week. Uh, They are now 27th in the league with only 55% of their Red Zone trips ending in a touchdown. Uh, that's, That's not great. It's not great. Uh, no, it's not. Um, and I think some of that's got to do, I, you know, this is where, this is where, you know, we were talking about with Tunyon's targets. This is where he was really money last year was in the red zone. And I, he's, he's not getting tar. I don't know if that was a commit. I don't know what, if they're trying to, I don't know. Um, obviously <laughs> I'm not an NFL head coach. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously I, sometimes I think Matt LaFleur is trying to get too cute sometimes around there. It's like, dude, you've got Aaron Jones, you've got AJ Dillon run the ball more um i just i i can't figure this out either they were sold money on it last year and this year it's suddenly turning into a struggle so did did opponents find something are the packers trying to do something different i mean that's something i can't seem to figure out for the life of me of why they can't get in the, get in the end zone more it's just a really weird you know not something i would have expected we'd be talking about at this point in the year but uh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I do appreciate LaFleur. He's been taking that blame on his shoulders. He's been pretty on record saying, like, I just knew, need to do a better job of setting our guys up for success. Um, I think we're starting to see a couple opportunities where things could be turning around as far as one thing I was not expecting this year was the impact A.J. Dillon was going to have as a pass catching running back. Uh, so that was awesome to see uh, this week. I just think I agree with you. I think they're getting too cute with it. The two touchdowns were nice though. You had that Dylan touchdown and then you had the uh, gorgeous fade to Devonte Adams. And it's so funny thinking about it, about, you know, even myself, I hate goal line fades, but when you have Rogers just tossing them up to Devonte, it seems like the only time where they just totally work. Yeah. It's kind of one of those, you see as the play develop. No, no. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Touchdown. You know, kind of a thing you See develop there. It's you know it's no different than like the fullback dive around the goal line. Back hey in the old John Kuhn days. Hey now, one hundred percent, one hundred percent of one hundred percent of plays at the one yard line should go to fullbacks. You know, never forget my mantra that fullbacks are people too. I will not but, stress that enough. I don't know what I need to do to get John Kuhn onto the podcast, but I'm going to make that my life's mission. Fair game, fair game, and you know you got AJ Dillon as a bowling ball, so I mean he's pretty much kind of a fullback. Yep, yeah, I we. Maybe. As the committee of fullbacks, uh, I would like to formally acknowledge him as one of our own. So, you know, that is decreed. I'm not sure how happy he will be about that. I saw him on a Cheesehead TV interview. He's, you know, kind of wanted to avoid that title. Um, But I'll let him know, you know, he's an honorary fullback in my eyes. Yeah, maybe in Matt LaFleur's eyes, you know, in terms of X's and O's, maybe he plays that role in there. But we're not going to call you a fullback, AJM. I, we're not going, we're not, we're not trying to accuse you of something you're not, but um, you know, in the traditional old school sense, you'd be considered a fullback, you know, 20 years ago, maybe we'll go with that. He'd be, you know, Mike Allstott esque, but you know, maybe a little bit more athletic with bigger legs. Um, I did want to point out before we move on from the gold zone updates, uh, something very concerning. I saw uh, opponents uh, in the red zone are 13 for 13 uh, for touchdowns. That is a 100% touchdown rate in the red zone. Uh, LaFleur did know it's a communication issue specifically. He thinks Barry's making the right calls. Um, the communication issue specifically stands out to me because we saw it a couple times in the Lions game where clearly it's trading off routes, things like that. 
So I'm, I just want to ask you, Chris, do you think that this is an issue with a new defense still trying to figure out itself and its terminology, or do you think that there's something bigger at play? You know, it's, it's really kind of tough to tell because, you know, between the twenties there, you know, the defense has actually been playing pretty well, you know, for all, you know, for all the pitchforks and torches that were out for Joe Barry after week one, they've been pretty well, but as all the defense gets within the 20, I, I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, that's, I think it's a little bit of a new defense. I mean, the communication issue, I mean, I haven't been watching too close. I'm mean, probably to rewatch the game again and, you know, going up against Chicago, you know, I kind of want to keep an eye on the substitutions that they're making. Um, but I think I, they're, it almost seems like at times they're playing too far off, which maybe that's a play calling issue, but I think, you know, you could see a little more, I'd like to see a little more pressure, you know, under the 20, it seems like they're going on. I don't want to say into a prevent in the red zone. because That's definitely not what you want to do but they're not playing aggressively enough near the 20. They almost go into a, a soft zone that dreaded soft zone that we all live through with Dom Capers, you know, and that's what's they're, they're setting themselves up for failure and their the players are just not getting there. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's, I think it's a, it's a communication issue. I would tend to agree with LaFleur on that, but you know, at some point Joe Barry's got to try something. You just can't keep calling, you know, you might have to have you know, a terminology change or what you got to do, but you got to make some kind of an adjustment there because what you're doing isn't working. 13 yeah. out of 13 is bad. That surprises me too. Cause for the grand scheme of things, like I said, I just feel like the defense is trending in the right direction. And maybe that's because I suffer from PTSD of watching capers and Mike Petton defenses. Um, the, if I ever, I'd never want to watch another Petten defense that struggles to stop the run. And I will say, I don't think they're giving up those massive rushing lanes that were just insulting to anyone that watched football as far as not fitting those runs. So, yeah, that number surprised me. I, I do want to hope it's a communication issue. Time will tell. Um, but still, I just I do want to give a quick tip of my cap to Joe Barry, simply because you are playing without your top edge rusher and top cornerback, and you held a pretty darn good offense to 22 points in an overtime game. So, you know, maybe that's a little deflated because of all the missed kicks, but, you know, you know take what you can get. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been calling better games. I mean, let's let's give him credit where credit's due. I mean, people are still burning him for reasons that escape me, but when you're missing, um, you know, your top corner and your top pass rusher, like you said, it's uh, it's very difficult to operate as a defensive play caller in the way you normally would. You're 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 inhibited for sure. Playing defense in general is just hard. So maybe give Joe Barry some slack. Uh, let's move on to my favorite segment, which is panning for gold. Uh, you know, trying to take away any positives we can or the biggest positive we had to try and, you know, even on losses, you know, again, we made this assuming there might be some more losses. Uh, we have not had that happen yet, but, you know, biggest positive takeaways. Mine this week is uh, just that Preston Smith has finally found his role within the Packers defense. Uh, we're no longer seeing him constantly drop into coverage. This man has finally found his role as an edge setter. Uh, two sacks this year, which ain't bad. But where I really think he's standing out is his ability to, you know, stonewall blockers, set the edge on rushing lanes, keep people from flowing outside. We saw it a couple times against Cincinnati where he just stonewalls blockers. That running back tries to cut inside, and then there's Kenny Clark, there's Devondre Campbell, there's all these guys there to meet him. And honestly, that's just been so cool to see. Yeah, I mean, I, that was obviously we were all hoping to see that. You know, we thought he was kind of listed as a primary, you know, kind of a dark horse cut candidate during camp this year. And I'm really glad they didn't make that decision. 
But as far as you said, you know, you know, we were talking about the lack of depth along the defensive line. And when you've got an outside linebacker like that, that can set the edge of that definitely helps your run defense. And that makes life easier for those defensive linemen as well. So yeah, I, I agree. It's been glad. I'm glad, you know, only two sacks, but I mean, he's been much more visible and you're noticing him in a good way. And he's not dropping into coverage, which probably one of the, probably the dumbest thing I saw Mike Pettin do in his time <laughs> as a defensive coordinator. Like, why are you, you signed him as a pass rusher and you're dropping into coverage? What? What if we had no, this I, guy do all the things he's not good at instead of the things he is good at? You know, let's see what happens there. Maybe it could be terrible. Yeah, I mean, it would be like asking, you know, asking, uh, trying to think what a comparison for that would be. I mean, can you imagine dropping Clay Matthews into coverage? That's kind of what you were doing. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't, you, I, I, I never understood that. I won't understand it and I never will. Um, so, I mean, but, but I mean, it's, it's very good to see, you know, I definitely think he might have a future in Green Bay now, especially with how he's been playing in this defense. So Chris, I will tell. It'd be like you'd be like, Hey, you know, you're, you're not a bad sports writer. And, you know, how about we have you write about politics? You know, what's your, what's your take on the economic landscape right now, Chris? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, you know, and everyone kind of was like, oh, why did, why did you get into sports? Why did you get into sports? And I said, I like when stuff people, it brings people together, even though sports can be divisive. It's nowhere near the vitriol of politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, what's, what's your positive for this week? So I'm going to go ahead and go with Bill, um, who has been phenomenal, uh, especially with Bakhtiari and Jenkins. Uh, what only out of, He's played every single offensive snap, 321 snaps. Uh, out of those 195 pass plays, and he's only allowed one QB hit. Um, kind of also on an assist with that. You know, I'm going to cheat and take a second one. I also have to go with Mercedes Lewis, who has not only been a reliable target for Rodgers, but he's also been phenomenal. You know, he, he was signed as a blocker, and he's you know he's that tight end that does it all. You know, he's my age. He's not a spring chicken, um, but he's just been phenomenal. So I kind of uh, definitely want to give it to Billy Turner with kind of an assist to uh, Mercedes Lewis. I mean, just looking at the three guys we just mentioned, you know, when injuries happen, you want veterans to step up, right? Like that's what makes a good locker room. That's what makes a championship team. And you're looking at exactly that with these three guys. So something awesome to see. I love seeing that. Let's go ahead and talk about a little bit of news and, you know, start winding things down. Uh, this might be the first week we don't have any bad injury news. We always talk about how, you know, doing a podcast recording on Monday for Tuesday mornings, that it's always injury related. Uh, we had no major injury news come out of this game outside of Kevin King. Uh, sounds like he's dealing with a shoulder injury, but let's be honest. It feels like he's always hurt. And I get people wanting a bag on him and I know he's not good and he gets burned all the time. Don't like seeing you guys get hurt. Um, so, you know, hopefully we have an update. Hopefully it's not too serious. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of got to go off. I mean, we got to stop. I mean, we've got to stop with some of the stuff on Kevin King. Um, so, you know, if on, you were at the game, so you didn't see this. Twitter went ablaze yesterday on that long pass at the end of um, at the end of the first half. It was when uh, Darnell Savage. Yeah, whipped on that. Yep. But Fox showed Kevin King jogging off the field and the fans just assumed it was him. I mean, that's not fair. Come on. Come on, Packers fans. We got to be better than this. Um, he's, he played overall when he, was, when he played yesterday. He played well. He was competent. Um, definitely a step in the right direction against an offense that had weapons. Um, so, I mean, just that kind of stuff just kind of chaps my butt. I mean, you got to – I mean, you can, <laughs> criticize the, you can criticize the player without dogging the person. So – I mean, I know Twitter is kind of a toxic hellhole, but, you know, come on, we got to be not all Packer fans, obviously. I'm not trying to start a war, but, yep. you know, we, 
got to got to be better here. I mean, I I've been critical of King, but you got to give him credit when it's due to. Yeah, honestly, shout out to him. I thought he made a couple of really nice tackles. And yeah, the fact that he was trying to play a game with basically one functional arm, you know, that's the kind of toughness you want from guys too. So again, I think this is probably one of the better Kevin King games we've seen. So he deserves a little bit of praise as well. Uh, but moving on, uh, we have an injury update, but it's actually a positive one, which is great. Um, Bakhtiari is officially eligible to return to practice uh, next week after the Bears game uh, and be taken off the physically unable to perform list. Uh, LaFleur did keep it pretty close to the vest, uh, when asked about it today, but he did mention that Bach is dying to get back out on the practice field. We've seen a couple of video clips. I think he's ready to go. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was actually, I, I was kind of surprised to see him on the pup list to begin the year because I didn't think it was going to be six weeks judging by what we kind of saw in training camp. But, you know, the Packers are very smart with their, with their players and they've got the best probably the best medical staff in the league. Shout out to Doc McKenzie. Um, you know, I, I think, I bet you he'll be ready to go. I mean, he's probably going to need a, a week or two of practice for sure. Dust off the cobwebs because he can't even practice now, as we said, but I think he's, uh, I think he's ready to go. And with Elton Jenkins getting ready to go, I think they're going to get everybody back at the right time. Yeah. That's a heck of a time to get ready. I mean, they got an upcoming schedule. It's like what Cardinals, Chiefs, Seahawks, uh, Seahawks might have Russell Wilson for that game. It keeps going back and forth as far as his finger injury. So yeah, pretty good time to get the offensive line healthy. Um, last bit of news for everyone that wasn't paying attention. Something worth noting, two Bengals players, uh, Jackson Carmen and Samaje Pirine, were placed on the COVID list um, immediately after the game. From what we heard, it sounds like Pirine did straight up test positive for COVID. Um, that feels like an anxious upcoming few days for the Packers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably going to be a little nervous. Um, you know, thankfully, I think the Packers are, if they're not, they're, I, they've got to be pretty darn close to being 100% vaccinated. So there's, hopefully this doesn't take too much of a toll. But uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's this the reality of the world we live in right now. So yeah, um, it's probably going to be a little anxious, but I mean, it's they, they've weathered the storm on missing with injuries before and hopefully... You know, if, as long as if anybody, God forbid, does test positive, they're vaccinated and they get back out there. Not too much time. Obviously, I don't want to spread any misinformation out there. And I'm not entirely sure if this is correct, but I do believe that there is um, there's been very few, if any, cases of opposing teams transferring COVID on the field. I know that's a hard thing to track, but I don't believe I've seen anything like that. So, you know, the silver lining there. Uh, fingers crossed on that. Um I don't have any other news, which is good because again, this is usually bad news on a Monday after a game. Uh, so let's go ahead, Gold Rush. Just any little bonus things. I couldn't find a whole lot this week, but the one thing I did want to note is shout out to AJ Dillon. Uh, just a phenomenal tweet this week after catching a touchdown. He tweeted and said, I'm going to tell my kids that I was Devontae Adams. And I just love that from the guy. Yeah, I, <laughs> that, I, I did get a hearty chuckle out of that. Um, if you, AJ Dillon is I, I I love the guy to death. He's he's embraced the jokes about his quads. I mean, even Aaron Jones has been joking about him too when I spoke with him. So it's uh it you know it's it's been a um it's <laughs> that just it was it was too funny. I mean it's you know they they know what they got with Devontae Adams there, and I'm glad to see them, you know, enjoy and, and embracing that. Um as far as a uh uh, positive note that I kind of want to go with on that. I mean, can we just stop playing in Cincinnati? The Packers just stop playing in Cincinnati. <laughs> every time, 
the last two times, I mean, it's been weird games last two times they've been in Cincinnati, but the last two times they played, you know, the last time four years ago, it was in Lambeau field overtime again. I just, I, it's, it's just kind of one of those fluky games where you see the Bengals on the schedule and stock up the liquor cabinet, you know, when we get to 2025, <laughs> when they play at Lambeau field again. Uh, yeah, just as like to remind me on this Friday preview that, you know, Jonathan Franklin's career basically ended uh, the last time they played in Cincinnati. And that was a name I had not heard in so long. That one just physically hurt me. And then, of course, there was the far of getting the ball taken away by a fan on the two minute drill. So just real weirdness when these two teams play. So, you know, I like that you leaving that note, you know, don't have to worry for another eight years about playing in Cincinnati, another four about playing them. So, you know, we'll leave you guys with that. Uh, huge thanks to Chris for you know helping out again today. It's great having him as the full-time co-host now. Uh, and I'll leave you guys with, I love gold. Thanks guys.